very excited today to be speaking to Stephen Van Collo, who is the CEO of a great South African business called EOH. But EOH went through some really tough times and masses of corruption. Over a billion rand were uncovered when Stephen took over. And it's been quite a dramatic week because news broke this week that EOH is suing its former CEO and founder and several of the senior executives for a combined 6.4 billion rand. And I think it's a remarkable and groundbreaking step by corporate South Africa because it always takes two to tango. So firstly, hello, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Toby. I'm doing good. Thank you. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a dramatic week uh, for South Africa in general. Jacob Zuma's going to jail. The Papia Act came into effect today as we speak. And the news that EOH was holding its former executives to account for enormous corruption with the state. You didn't really want to publicize it, but once the news broke, you've, you've confirmed that this is what you did in May. No, that's exactly right. I suppose two things, uh, Toby. One is, or three things. One is, you know, the board made a promise to the general public, to our customers, to our OEM partners, to our people, that they would follow a certain process because that was important to prevent us getting blacklisted by our partners and our customers, etc. And uh, the final piece in the puzzle was to obviously do prosecutions to try and get some of the losses back. That's the first thing. So the board has been adamant that they were going to be transparent and return credibility. And this is what our customers asked. So we had to do it. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't have you know, kept favor. And we've seen longer term contracts you know, actually coming back. So in 2019, people shortened the duration of their contracts. And uh, we've seen, and as you saw in our half year, that people have returned with two, three, four. And actually, just yesterday, we won a five-year contract with one of the local learning institutions. So I think the strategy the board took has been correct. And obviously, management have had to execute on it. The other point that's worth noting is in a civil claim, you have to prove damages. Yes. Otherwise, you don't have a claim. Yes. And so we've had to prove damages. and. The damages can be seen in the write-offs that and the extra costs that we've had to incur over 2019 and 2020, and that forms the basis of the claim. It's got nothing to do with how much money or how wealthy people are that you are actually lodging the proceedings against. And so one mustn't get confused with that. But I think the most important thing here is that shareholders and the employees were the biggest losers in all of this and the board just felt they had a fiduciary duty to complete the circle and be transparent about it and get the credibility back and clearly also we needed to do it just for the good of our customers and our people so that they feel that there has been recompense for what they've had to lose out on. Indeed, and that's, I suppose, the honorable thing to do because, of course, you were a banker and you understand governance. You've said this phrase, fiduciary duty, numerous times in the last few years. And it's fantastic to see a company do that, take responsibility, be accountable. Because too often what happens is when a malfeasance is exposed, the companies don't want to be associated with it. So they, you know, the person involved gets a golden handshake and a non-disclosure agreement and off they go. And yet, as I've heard you say very often as well, 
it takes two to tango. There are always two. And we, as South Africans, quite rightly are focused on the civil servants who steal and loot and take hard-earned taxpayers' money for themselves. But of course, a lot of that is in correlation with contracts in the private sector. The tenders are out there, and we don't often see big companies holding the executives or the people involved in the corruption to account. Uh, I think it's groundbreaking. Yeah, I think there's two things. I mean, it absolutely does take two to tango. I don't think it's just the public sector versus private sector. I mean, I think it's just in general, and we need to stop it. It's really hurt the country, and this type of thing tends to hurt the poor more than the rich, for sure. But I think that the one thing that, I mean, there's been some criticism laid about, you know, why don't we just focus on the business and, you know, not worry about the prosecutions and you've spent a lot of money, why do you even do the investigation? And I think uh, what's really important is if you are building a long-term business, you know, you have to build a business that's credible. You can't just focus on short-term profits the whole time. But in our case, it was a bit of both. I don't think the business would have survived if we hadn't have done what we've done. You know, I've spent over 100 hours going and doing presentations to risk committees, credit committees, boards of OEM partners, of our customers, National Treasury, public enterprise. I mean, they were pretty uniform in their response. Even BLSA said, you know, there's certain things if you want to get your credibility back, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z. You can't just do half of it because then there's always going to be this question out there. And so this is why the board made the decision to go the whole hog, if I can call it that, and gave um, you know management their direction to say, this is what we want you to do. Clearly, if you remember from our report, there were more people involved in this. I mean, I think we talked about 46 people, of which 16 were EOH employees. But we don't have the time and resource to go after everyone. So we broke it down into levels, or the lawyers did, and they presented to the board. And the board decided that these were the four main people that should have taken responsibility. Still, you know, I think it's groundbreaking. And and what you've just been through should not be the exception. It should be what happens all the time. You know, look at the lack of accountability and credibility our own health department has because of the Zwilliam Kesey and Digital Vibe saga at the time that it needs to have critical trust from our country as we do a rollout of coronavirus vaccines. It's just remarkable that this isn't obvious to everybody, you know, and, and thank you for setting the example. No, I mean, we must thank the board and, you know, for being this resolute because clearly it's not just me on my own. I have to follow what the board instructs. But I think, you know, what's interesting, I was at a dinner at Gibbs with the dean about a year ago, and we had a visiting professor from MIT, I think he was, who had spent 33 years of his life studying corruption in various states across the world. Yes. Basically, his view was corruption has only stopped in countries where the general public see it as wrong yes. to be corrupt, and then it stops. And so the only way the general public can believe that it's the wrong thing to do is if there's consequence. And if there's no consequence, then people will continue doing what they feel like. And I mean, I, yes. I call it the taxi effect. You know, <laughs> We all see the taxis going through stop streets and driving down the yellow lines. And then 
we head off down the yellow line and the policeman jumps out and stops us and says, you can't do that. And you say, but everyone else is. Yes. It's still not legal. It's still wrong. Yeah. I think this is the, the change that needs to happen. So it's actually brilliant to see that actually the president is driving this hard because it's one way we can change the past in South Africa and have a reasonable future. If we don't, it's a, a very difficult future. Indeed. And I, as you say, part of the, the impetus for EOH is you're a services business and your reputation is, you know, part of what you're selling. But what I find fascinating is that so few companies seem to understand that. They, they've become much more aware in the last few years with the very clear shift in the next generation, the so-called millennials who are coming into the workforce. They don't want to work for companies or invest in companies that are involved in fossil fuels or uh, doing bad things or, you know, investing in scurrilous operations. They just don't want it. So it's, it's almost like it, what you've done with EOH comes as a, there's a greater awareness and awakening in society about what companies do and whether people want to be associated with them or involved with them. And uh, I think you've set the, you know, the gold standard for how, a company accused and involved in corruption can rebuild itself because, as you've said over and over, there are 6,000, 6, some 6,000 employees who wouldn't have had a job if this had been imploded. And that's a lot of people and a lot of extended families. No, correct. I mean, I've always said uh, businesses on corrupt people are, you know, and uh, especially when it's uh, people at the top. Uh, we were fortunate that it was a small group of people, just obviously in power, that could do it. Um, you know, one of the things we had to do, it was, wasn't just the people that did stuff. It was the people who, in power, that knew about it and did nothing that we had to clean out. And it was just such a trust a, thing. Such an interesting thing. But I'm going to come back to that because I didn't want to interrupt you. But you did, but it's fine. <laughs> um <laughs> What I wanted to say was that it's quite important because, you know, one of the reasons why I think the management team uh, in the businesses have largely stayed on and we've been able to attract someone like uh, Ziad Suleiman, who is a veteran uh, in, at the Exco and a director of IBM in Southern Africa to come and join us. I don't know if you saw that announcement recently. Was yes, I did. Yeah, because I mean, he actually approached us. He had been there a long time, and you know they they going through their own changes, and he wanted something new. And if we hadn't have done all this, I don't think he would have wanted to have you know come and join. That is and a, he certainly ex expressed that to me. That is an ex incredible advert for the turnaround and the and the honourable way you've done it. You know, yeah. the other thing, Toby, that's been very interesting, and I must commend corporate South Africa on this, is that. The big corporates, the, the systems actually work. I had to walk into a bit of a storm with a lot of people wanting to cut work with us. And when we said, this is what we're going to do, is there anything else? They said, if you do that, we'll continue working with you. And they've been true to their word. They've obviously done their due diligence because of their own remuneration. But what's been interesting is we've actually had a number of net new customers who weren't customers of, of us before who have opened up meetings and said, listen, we just want to thank you for what EOH has done. And uh, this has been very good for South Africa. And for that reason, we want to put you on our procurement list. That's fantastic. Yeah, I can actually point to a number of big corporates in South Africa who have actually responded that way. And I think, you know, I can only thank corporate South Africa for being patient, but actually giving us the time to the new management and new board to 
really turn the company around, put the new processes in, and resume the good work of our six and a half thousand staff. Indeed. I mean, your point about people are corrupt, not companies. I mean, KPMG made some spectacular failures of conflict and interest and inability to do their job as accountants and auditors. But not all auditors are bad or corrupt. You know, not everybody at KPMG was. And there was a lot of anger at the business. But it's a good point you make that people are people are the source of, of you know, it's the same as guns don't kill, people holding guns kill. Yep. The other thing I think that's also been, been interesting for me is um, just looking back on it, 99% of people just want to work for, be proud of the work they do, the company they work for. They want to go to work. They want to earn a salary, maybe some extra money, look after their families. Yes. And they actually your best policemen. You know, we, we implemented this Expose It app right at the beginning. I remember uh, seeing it's, it. It's a pretty high-tech app through a, one of our company, forensic companies called Extend. The app's called Expose It. But it uses AI, it uses voice recognition for lie detection. It uses a whole lot of tools to check documents, whether yes. they, you know, well, and it's all automated. But it goes through an, an independent party. And actually, when I look back, where did we get the most information from? It was from our people who were desperate to save the company yes and we're prepared in a sheltered environment to give you a lot of information and that really pointed us in the right direction and if you look at it at the anger that people had with what had been going on and nothing had happened i mean i do think that the business would have just on its own imploded anyway yes because it was getting to that level not to mention the money mismanagement that was going on. But when I see the response to the press on you know Monday that came out, caught us a little bit of, uh, off guard, but just the WhatsApps, the SMSs that I've got from the leadership you know, in the business, yes. just feeling like finally the matter's now closed and come to an end. We've done what we have to do. And it's almost given them uh, sort of some cathartic uh, release I suppose that they feel now we can properly move forward because this is now the last piece in the puzzle and that has amazed me more because I haven't spoken about this internally I haven't publicized internally that we were prosecuting we haven't publicized the names until now because they came out of the, the summons we've sort of tried to not burden our people with any of this but I've been really amazed at the the positive and the emotional response that I've, I've had largely from uh, people in the business. That's fantastic, Stephen. I mean, it's, it's, as you say, most people are good, honorable people. And there's been a fear of whistleblowing because there's been so much kickback, you know, and that remarkable woman who worked at Trillion and, and left, she was, her life was very difficult because she was the whistleblower. She was the one who did the right thing and ended up having to live with some terrible consequences uh, and was hired by um, the, the company you left, MTN, um, which is you know part of where I know you from. The way you were helping MTN get people to use data more, and I, and I suppose that's always been fascinating for me about your, your very varied background. You were a banker, then you were doing 
digital and mobile and now you're you know saving a big technology business and six and a half thousand people's salaries it's been a quite a ride the last few years hasn't it no it has been i mean i went to eoh because i thought it would be you know they had a great uh, youth development program unemployment program which continues you know with the president's four hour campaign i thought actually being in that industry running a business that's creating jobs would just be a great place to sort of end my career and if I can put it that way it was just a real pity to get there not just do a corporate turnaround that I'd been asked to do but to be yes. faced with something at the same time you're trying to turn a corporate around you know I have to save their reputation and that's not something I've ever had to do before so that's been pretty chaotic and stressful and difficult and you know I can only thank a lot of people who joined me knowing what I had to do like the Fatima Newmans who came funny enough from MTN but also from the banking world prior to be the chief risk officer yes Megan Pitigadu who uh, actually was about to join another company and decided to come and take the challenge on I mean, the new board members who uh, um, I spoke to, and I can tell you, I spoke to quite a few right in the beginning. And it was only when Dr. Makonazi said he, he's coming, a lot of people then followed. But even recently, to get some of our uh, the high-quality board members that have said, you know what, we actually want to come and help and we want to be part of it, has been uh, quite humbling, actually, to see that there's a lot of people who have pretty irritated what's been going on in this country for a while and actually want to make the difference. So I think Remarkable. we underestimate how much support there is out there yes. to get this right and uh, we need to continue it. I, I wholeheartedly agree and I'm, I'm very pleased to see that enthusiasm from people who want to make the country better. And, and I remember you talking about this youth unemployment initiative and it, at first I, I wasn't entirely sure but I noticed how your enthusiasm for it has never diminished and it's great to see that because unemployment especially youth unemployment in this country is diabolical as you say most people want to be proud of their jobs if you don't have a job there's a whole level of dignity and self-worth that you're not getting so well done for keeping the the youth unemployment project going no, absolutely. I think it is really important. I think, you know, one has to look at the long game. You know, you can look at the short term and you say, oh, listen, this is going to cost us money. But actually, the, the long game is that it creates productivity within the economy and it lifts the GDP. And that, yes. And so one needs to look at it that um, we're doing this for for the long term. If you remember places like Unilever, places like SAB, you know, Miller, um, used to do a lot of training they did. and a lot of you know creation and they used to lose a lot of those people you know in in our day if you were in marketing if you hadn't done five years in the Unilever marketing department <laughs> you weren't a real marketeer you know yeah and that or, was the, or SAB exactly it was right. like SAB exactly right so many great people came out of SAB Enzo specifically yeah, but you know Enzo Scarcelli yeah. from from your days at MTN yeah, but these are the things I think corporate needs to do in South Africa and commit to it and just think about the long term and not the short term and if we all do that um, you end up with a bigger GDP you create the a good future for your kids you, you create a good future for the country and I think that uh, we should all be committed to that especially given our past indeed indeed listen I don't want to keep you I, I know you have a lot to get to so 
Stephen Francola, thank you very much for, for this interview and keep up the good work. Thanks, Toby. It was good to chat again. Great. Looking to uh, read your Gadgets magazine again. <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as a, as a technology publication, and, and it's only us old people who still read pieces of paper. Actually, <laughs> you'd be surprised at how many people still love reading paper. It's such a great lean-back experience. Um, stay well. Thanks, Toby. <laughs>